0: good evening ladies and gentlemen and welcome to episode 17 of the podcast i'm your host ali and i want to invite you all to sit and sec for a while i know it's been some time but i want to welcome each one of you back to the show and i want to thank you all for your ongoing support as always, if there's any questions or topics you'd like me to address in the podcast, please reach out to me via social media or via email. And also make sure you're subscribed and following, that way you don't miss any new episodes. Today, we have a special guest with us. I recently did a recording with a fellow colleague and friend, Todd Fink. As for what we discussed, the best way to describe it is just looking at the way our perspectives on life have changed over the years and decades and how to avoid certain pitfalls in life and if we've already fallen into these pitfalls how to get out so without further ado please have a seat and i hope you all enjoy the show thank you I know we talked a lot about just different concepts when it comes to the changing perspectives we have today in modern society. You know, A lot of it has to do with social media. A lot of it has to do with just how psychology works and our perspective changes you know, when it comes to relationships, possessions. There's just so much that we don't realize about ourselves, and some of it is harmful, some of it is beneficial but we don't take the time to think about it
1: right and things are changing so quickly it's it's so fast that there isn't time to think about it and there's not like a a time of reflection and and there's not like a gathering of information and input before things shift it just happens and you you're just racing to keep up with it Mm mm-hmm
0: yeah, we we got ourselves caught in this really fast-paced lifestyle. Everything moves really quickly, everything is really fast, and... Yeah, you're right, we can't catch up. We can't take a minute to breathe and really think about things. We find ourselves mm-hmm. really just racing, you know, and... It's created a culture, you know, this fast-paced culture, where we have very fast-paced lives, short attention spans, you know, things have to be really quick.
1: I really noticed this when I was a really young man going to India for six months and not having access to what was going on back home. And I didn't have a phone on me. And then I could see how different things were. It's like, having a small child and not seeing the child for six months the child would be would seem totally different and that's that's what I could tell from just stepping away for for merely six months things had changed drastically with communication with social media and we're used to that now or or I, I don't know if we're used to it but but that's what's happening over and over everything updates very quickly and if you don't step away uh, you, you may not realize that at times you could actually be drowning in this uh, s- spin cycle, you know, and it becomes a habit to keep to try to keep up with it. I know it affects a lot of different professions differently, and it's hard for education staff in particular to keep adapting to technology and ways that they're going to Instruct children and how they can relate to children who are maybe even ahead of them in this technological curve. That, yeah, there's there's just a lot of a lot of changes that that cause a whole host of new concerns.
0: Yeah, that immediate gratification is just. I think to a degree we've become a bit. I don't want to say spoiled, but spoiled. We're used to some things being uh, a certain speed, things being a certain way. I mean, I think one of the major conveniences today is if your internet went out. Mm-hmm. So that would be a, a major, major inconvenience for someone. But if you think back even 20 years, that wouldn't really impact you as much. Right. So I, it, I think, you know, much to a concern. degree, we've... Yeah, we've become so dependent on and reliant on it, which I guess it's a normal part of life. You know, I think as, you know, we evolve as a society and we get used to certain things, it becomes a more integral part of our life.
1: But then it's like, why, why is it such an integral part of our life? And why are we dependent on it? And I mean, so, so part of it is that there's different kinds of work but the work is all based on the convenience you're talking about. So there's things to keep up with because things need to keep moving for the convenience that everyone expects. Mm-hmm. So there's this domino effect. Uh, but but yeah, if you if you step back from from those changes, w- my my concern is that the the speed and the convenience is not necessarily solving any problem. There wasn't a problem to begin with. It's just makes things more comfortable. And at some point, there's a law of diminishing returns that I think you know, we've touched on before. Yeah. Like,
0: um, I feel like it's, a, it's like an evolutionary trade-off. Yeah. yeah, we evolve and we gain something new. But we lose something in the process, and I think it's kind of like where the, the the threshold of convenience really becomes more harmful. Yeah. <clears throat> I
1: yeah. was just sitting in my home office the other day, taking a break from writing, and I'm watching an episode of Seinfeld, and I just had a meta moment where I'm looking at myself, looking at the TV with a phone in my hand, my laptop in the background. And, and I was thinking that for like 99.9 repeating percent of human history, this scene that I was currently in would make absolutely no sense which no, I'm it? not talking about the, the episode itself. I'm just saying that just oh. a human being sitting on this couch in an yeah. office with screens in three directions and you. one in the hand, yeah. for almost 100% of human history, there's no evolutionary um, correlate for that. So, So I was just thinking like, you know we have different we have different ailments now in different social ills there's anxiety there's depression there's there's all a host of mental health issues and addiction and so on and and i'm just looking at myself thinking we don't have the evolutionary wiring to deal with this environment this is not where we came from and i'm not saying this is bad it's just that we're going to have to think deeper about how we take care of ourselves as we enjoy these conveniences and continue to get more and more conveniences and um, and instant gratification, like you talked about. I mean, part of the reason why more than half the world is obese is because we're wired with a drive for food. That drive had to be strong enough that it would, would motivate a human being to do the work that you had to do to get food. Yeah you know so so now that food is so easy to get we get obese because the drive is as strong as it was for a million years but the degree of difficulty has been removed you see (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: i mean again it it really varies i mean if you think back to before the age of uh, a calculator or a computer where a lot of your addition, mathematic needs were done to be a, an atticus. right? Mm-hmm. And that made everyday addition, subtraction, whatever, just a, a difficult, it was a task, right? But now if I ask you, hey, can you add up these numbers for me? You're, the first thing you're gonna do is just pull up a calculator or the calculator on your computer or uh, your phone. And that made life much simpler, right? I think, things are invented, things are created that make our life simpler. That way we can focus on other things. I'm not spending my entire day on an abacus. I can do that task real quick on a calculator and then go on with my day. Right. (laughs) Right? And I think that applies to so many other things. You know, uh, but I think with that speed, like you said, came uh, that immediate gratification that things need to be Mm -hmm. done quick and it takes away from the the joy of certain things or the work that's supposed to go into certain things like the the food is a really good example you know I can right now have food delivered to me where I am I don't have have to to do any
1: any physical work you don't have to exert any energy
0: yeah, I can have anything almost anything delivered to my home
1: mm-hmm. yeah how wild is that yeah but you said and something where's also cut off so something else that, that struck me was that you're like I can enter this into my calculator and go about my day so what is it about your day that you were being held back from with the abacus you know That we haven't really figured out as a a society, as a species. What do we need things to be faster for? And people don't know the answer to that. And that's where I think the mental health piece comes in. That all we know is we want it to happen faster, but we don't know why. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Um, Whereas there was a sense of balance and fulfillment, at least from from our evolutionary programming, for survival, uh, for sexual sur- survival, that these, these things felt really good. It felt really good to exert yourself to get food, to, to get the kill perhaps, um, and, and, all, uh, and all of those basic needs being met to build a shelter. And it also was healthy for the body to exert the energy required to achieve those needs. Now, like you said, you can just push a button and all of that will happen for you. It will be, it'll be brought to you and you can go about your day. And many people don't, don't know what that means, you know, don't know where they're supposed to go with that time or what they're supposed to do with that time, how they're supposed to invest that time. And there may come a period on the horizon where even work itself has to be rethought because of the the advancements in artificial intelligence and and it's quite possible that we we won't really need human beings working in the way we always assumed would be necessary and then people are really going to have to think about what is time well spent because if i don't have to work or there there's just a different way that civilization exists we're going to have to train people for that transition. And that's going to involve figuring out how, how to find meaning. And, and previously, what was meaningful was yeah. surviving, you know, for thousands or millions of years. And now there's a shift happening, and it's happening very quickly. And so we're going to, I think we're going to have to redefine meaning. And that is also a higher, um, that's a little bit higher on the hierarchy of needs as well. So, that comes into play here. You
0: know what's interesting? People that, you know, sometimes joke and say, the concept of fun (laughs) is a new concept, right? It's something that was newly invented (laughs) in younger (laughs) ages. And I wonder if that's because they they were so busy with just everyday Mm -hmm. tasks, you know, prior to the internet, prior to phones being so readily accessible, prior to... um, just the world becoming a smaller place
1: yeah the funny you know? thing is though that at least for adults not so much for children that our concept of fun is fairly narrow you know as as you become an adult it's like we can go to this same establishment and drink and or you know have some food the i think if that if that concept was was much broader, it would also contain some of the some of the solutions to these new problems. That fun isn't really that fun in the way that we're conditioned socially, and if it were more fun, more meaningful, I should say, you know, like wonder, curiosity, exploration, spirituality, like those. Those pursuits are enjoyable. Meditation. These are enjoyable pursuits in life, um, but most people don't think of it when they think free time and fun. And that's where our men- mental health comes in. I think when that fun free time is also something that that develops the person that that gives you something beyond. That moment. It's, it's also an investment in the way that we would invest financially so mm-hmm. that there's some kind of yield later on. The free time that we're blessed with in this era, um, you know, it could be invested more wisely, I think, in, in our psychological and spiritual development. Yeah.
0: I was thinking about this yesterday, you know, with this free time, and, you know, I guess it's kind of like. I'm going to give you a million dollars figure out what to do with it. And then your options just become so much more wider. You know, it becomes a wider window of opportunity. What do I do with this time? And I wonder if that really causes people to feel anxious. You know, I have so much time, but where do I spend it? What if I spend it in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing? And that just creates anxiety you know, something says supposed to be simple, but yeah, it's become complicated. We almost have too much time on our hands.
1: Yeah, well, we don't have any precedent for this, so it's hard to. It's hard to know what what is the right way to spend time, or if there's a right way to spend time. We never had this kind of time, and I mean, and uh, that's not to. Downplay how hard some people are working and and during the pandemic having to work remotely. Yeah, but I'm just saying like we have a lot more flexibility, generally speaking, with with time. And even if you're working remotely, you get to decide for the most part how how you'll spend your time or when you'll get your work done. And, And so there's just so much that's up to choice now with time but i think that you can you can look at how you've spent time and you'll get a, a like a a natural reaction right like if you if you were looking at your phone and it said your phone usage is up this week for an average of 8 hours a day that might not make you feel good you know you but if you're like oh great i've been trying to get it up <laughs> <laughs> to or if you look at a, <laughs> at a breakdown report of where you spent your time on your phone, and and you find that you, you know you spend thirty minutes or an hour on social media or on a, one particular app before you get out of bed, would that make a person feel good? You know, probably most people would wouldn't think of that as the ideal morning. Like I'd like to scroll. Mindlessly in a newsfeed before I sit up. Mm. So we we can look at what has already transpired and see how how we feel about that. However, there may be other other um, parts or other sides to technology where we do get some time well spent. Like if if you look at your usage phone usage report and you're using a, a meditation app every morning and and it's consistent and it's steady and it's Taking forty five minutes out of your morning that that might make somebody feel um feel good. Which means that, you yeah, know, there, there is meaning in the technology. It's just are we using the technology or is was the technology using us? And you have you have to, a good to kind of it. be present with that because these companies, these tech companies also are getting to know you better than you know you. You know, they they're they follow and yeah. record every little glance you make like uh, why did why did you stay on that image 10 seconds longer than you you do a, on average you know that's recorded that that's uh, becomes an algorithm so if we don't know how yeah. we want to use technology it can very easily be using us yeah. and harvesting our data and selling our attention
0: yeah how we use our technology and also how we use our time i feel like Earlier I said, you know, what's the, where's the cutoff for when technology or things that have become become more convenient or made our lives more convenient, you know, where's the cutoff where it's becoming more harmful than beneficial? And I think really the beneficial part occurs when you take that time and you do something better with it.
1: Right. And that's like what I was saying. Like we, we get more time, we get convenience, which buys us time. But we don't necessarily yeah. know what we want to do with that time. And that's happened. I mean, we've we've done things that seemed counterproductive with advances in technology that brought about more convenience. I mean cars replaced wagons and horses and people live farther from Work and they commute. You know, so mm-hmm. you would think in the beginning yeah. that it would just solve the problem of travel, and now, now it only takes me five minutes to travel anywhere. Uh, but what do people do? They they spread from their families. They spread from their their places of yeah. employment, and. And and therefore, the problem wasn't really solved. It was just kind of displaced. Now you have these longer commutes, but you're in a car that moves fast. Mm -hmm. People also aren't asking for these changes. That's another funny thing. Like Henry Ford said, if I had asked the people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And
1: and so we don't even know we want these things. It was the same with Steve Jobs. Steve, Steve Jobs said, you know, if I had asked people what they wanted, they wouldn't have said they want the iPhone. Um, so you you have to people that you know, he, he sees what yeah. people want, but they don't know that they want it. And then yeah, yeah, then we get we get dependent on it. But but like you said, knowing how we yeah. want to use free time or extra time or convenience yeah. is going to be essential.
0: Yeah, those really innovative people saw needs rather than wants. You know, um, I mean, for anything that happens in the world, a, a need is created. Further commutes, cars that can drive longer, um, more work that's remote, or you know, work that is more uh, intensive, faster internet, right? Um, phones. You know, computers. Everything is adapting to our needs, but in that, I think in that process, we're also getting too used to it. At the same time, just thinking, not long ago, there was dial-up, which would not have allowed us to do anything. Wouldn't allow us to do this. Right. Yes. So I do believe some really beneficial things have happened as the years went on, but I think, like we said earlier. It's what we do with the time. If it's going elsewhere where it doesn't really benefit you, yeah, then
1: it's right. not good. <laughs> and there's a parallel to to this technological revolution with with the industrial revolution, as machines started to do the work that was previously that previously required manual labor. People, human beings, started to change physically because they weren't getting that kind of um, exertion, that physical exertion. And so for the first time, people were getting overweight and unhealthy and sedentary. That was the beginning of of sedentary jobs. Mm -hmm. And at some point, they've had to, to respond to that change by creating exercise. Prior to the Industrial Revolution, those human beings would have found it totally strange and silly to see people running in place. to, see, to even see people running probably, you know, and unless they were in trouble. Yeah. to see people lifting up things and putting them right back where they lifted them and not accomplishing <laughs> anything with that work yeah. would have seemed so strange. but but the reason for all that was not just not just to get fit, what well, was because there had to be, a compensation for the loss of, of activity. So the so again, like I said with the cars, the cars came, but we we spread out. The machines came, and we became sedentary. So now we had to do work like we used to have to do, you know, in in yeah. mines and on railroads and everything, uh, but just to. Just to satisfy that evolutionary wiring, we were programmed to be out hunter, hunting and gathering and exerting ourselves. And when we're not, our, our bodies deteriorate and atrophy. So, so what I'm saying is with the technological revolution, I don't think we're there yet where we figure out what is the mental health gym. Right, So uh, social media and the internet and, and all these apps and tools have made communication really accessible, really easy. And that's amazing because now I can talk to you like this and we can talk to our relatives in other parts of the country or the world instantaneously. But now we're realizing that the depth of connection isn't taking place across these mediums and people are feeling lonelier than ever. So there has to be some way to take care of our mind and our mental health to compensate for that evolutionary trade-off that you said before.
0: I feel like the mental health gym would be exposure to the lack of these things. So exposure to the lack of speed, slowing down, right? When you think about um, just a, a day where you forgot your phone at home, you, do you remember the last time you lo- left your phone at home?
1: There's and a little kinda, anxiety. You walk out, you're and away realize and, you know.
0: It. There's a little anxiety like, oh, crap, mm-hmm. what if someone calls me? What if I'm not connected? Uh, and we, we're disconnected for maybe a day, a few hours, until you reconnect with your phone. But for that time being, you're free. Then I mean, you cannot forget about it, too. You're like, oh, I have to look this up. Wait, I don't mm-hmm. have my phone with me. And just being okay with that, and I think that's... What would give a lot of people anxiety? So yeah, being exposed to that—that's that's that a great point.
1: Because what you're talking about is um, is exposing people to upfront tension for longer-term mm-hmm. relief. If if you could endure that little bit of initial anxiety and discomfort without having your phone you become a little less dependent on the phone and you naturally start to move back towards being able to like look deeply at nature and be present with with nature without feeling distracted and feeling that that urge to be productive or accomplishing something or mm-hmm. superficially connecting with your with your network um, and and that's exactly how the other gyms worked it was like you go you go to a gym and you lift weights that's if you were to just put your to you just wake up and your body is feeling what it feels like during a workout you'd be calling 911 you know but but yeah. we we willingly <laughs> go run on a treadmill or, or sweat in a gym yeah. why so that for the hours after that you feel better. You, know, mm-hmm. you, you do an hour of exertion and strain so basically it's the strain you strain your muscles and then the muscles get stronger you strain your your mind and patience and your values that's that's how character is grown that's how psychological growth happens the same way as physical growth so yeah i think that's really good absolutely
0: i think also with you know when, when it comes to anxiety you know being so connected through different uh, social media platforms, being connected through your phone, and then the discomfort of not having that with you, um, it's almost like your threshold for stress and anxiety gets so much lower because that's what you you go to for comfort, being connected on the phone. So essentially, I think what some of these um, innovations or technology... Uh, ideas have done are just lowered our threshold for stress where now inconveniences completely Mm. stump Mm -hmm. us you know something happens that I don't know how to deal with and I go to my phone for help but I don't have my phone I'm stuck and that really just throws me off balance and uh, you know what we've effectively done is lower our threshold for stress for anxiety and without that technology we're just lost
1: and part of that is cultural too it's not just the technology I think there's a shift in society where demand is high for perfection and any Mm -hmm. any complaint needs to be dealt with immediately and people don't want a single bad review on Yelp or, or Google or something like that and And then you get a whole generation of people that really don't know how to be uncomfortable, don't know how to feel anxiety because they never had to. There's a book about this too uh, called The Coddling of the American Mind. It's kind of interesting about how we're actually breeding more anxiety, as as you talked about, by, uh, by the convenience of everything and the expectation that um, you, you should never be disappointed you know
0: do you see these changes also playing a role in our ways of communication
1: well yeah. I mean
0: I, I know we've talked about how it's made communication easier right we can do this like we would never have been able to do this maybe 20 years ago maybe really difficult at least but has it negatively impacted us the way we communicate with each other
1: I think, in, according to some metrics you, you could say it has, like the, the increase in loneliness would suggest that, communi- that communication is incomplete. Because I, I would assume that low rates of loneliness means depth of communication and connection. I think people are in contact with people more frequently than they ever were in history, but the loneliness rates keep going up. Mm. I don't think it's entirely uh, explained through technology, though, because that trend started before the Internet. So so that's of particular interest. But maybe the momentum that led to the Internet and led to... These devices was was already underway, and so maybe it's more, um, maybe it has a lot more to do, or in addition to the technology, it has something to do with the economy, it has something to do with um, cultural attitudes and shifting norms, things like that. My concern, or one concern I have with with this, is you're seeing. Population's declining for the first time. I think Japan's population is declining. Our birth rate is declining. Now, I want to say that there's a metric of like 2.1 2. children per woman in America. And as soon as that gets below two, your population's actually declining. And it's, it's such a s- small change to go under two. And yet, that could mean in a few generations your population is is significantly declining when when you have a population that's not increasing as soon as a whole generation lives its life you're, you're really looking at a, a dramatic trend so why is that happening and now and you're also seeing that less people there less children uh the rate of children is is declining but also, when people are having children is much later, on average, and I'm just, I'm concerned and I'm curious about what all those changes mean and what's behind those changes, yeah. especially when you, you, um, place it in the light of loneliness. I think it's multidimensional. I wonder
0: though. if it's, I wonder if it's overexposure. Well.
1: Yeah, because uh, uh, psychologist uh, Barry Schwartz talks talks uh, has a book called The Choice Paradox, I think. And and this may also get into how this trend started before the internet, somewhere in like the '70s, I want to say. Um, analysts started realizing that there's no one perfect um, taste or flavor or color. Whereas all, all these companies offered their their one product, their one jean, their one salsa, their one shirt. And in the 70s, their, their, their one Coke, their one flavor of soft drink. But then in the 70s, through different studies, they, re- they realized different groups love one particular thing the best. And companies quickly responded by making a whole variety of options. Uh, but... But as soon as you have more choices, your time of choosing actually gets delayed. So if you, there's been experiments where you take people to ice cream shops and one shop has three flavors, strawberry, chocolate, vanilla. People don't take long at all to decide and they come out pretty happy. And then you take people to a place that has like 64 exotic flavors. They take a long time to decide and they're all often not very happy because it introduces the possibility of regret and anxiety about making the right choice. So even if they enjoyed that flavor, they still wonder, could they have made a better choice? And yet, prior to this, everyone would say, take me to the place with 64 options. So we all think we want more choices, but it doesn't actually bear out in terms of utility and um, and happiness
0: yeah there's that like you said diminishing return at some point too many options is not mm-hmm. the answer right it actually makes things
1: right and, and, and so this right, then, uh, where, where I think this is going is that, that that's gotta affect relationships right I mean again coming back to evolution there's probably like one or two possible partners for you in the community in in that village and it's like yeah that's it you know you're expected (laughs) you're expected to to yeah have a family and it's It's either that or or nothing nothing. right (laughs) and it's not it's not a hard choice you know maybe some people would decide not not to but but it's certainly not a complicated choice like like it is with apps and that affects the psychology when you know like I got you know a million other profiles to kind of scroll through and get it's like being in that ice cream shop with 64 flavors I'm not saying that's how everyone approaches dating relating and mating but making the right
0: choice is there something better up there and then I'm never really feeling comfortable with the choice I've made maybe I'm feeling more uh, unsettled with it could I have look some more can I look further and found something better
1: yeah yeah it's it's strange you know I think it's easier for people than ever to contact each other but it seems very hard for people to make a very deep meaningful Mm long-lasting connection with somebody Mm. that's sad though
0: I think the way we communicate Mm -hmm. plays a role in it it is very sad because I think We miss out on certain things because of all the
1: choices. I think so.
0: You know, we never take the time to invest in something to see where it may pan out, may not pan out, but we don't give ourselves Mm -hmm. that chance. And again, it's that um, lowering of our threshold for stress again because we're getting away from making a decision by just furthering the search even further. I keep looking if I never really land on something and if I never choose something I might not get disappointed I may not you know face any kind of um, obstacles Mm -hmm. that way
1: yeah and I'm also noticing that in the so called real world where you're just out and about or traveling or interacting with people in a store or, or shop or At events, it seems like everybody is in their private digital world still, in their digital bubble. It's almost like we're not welcome into just into into basic conversation and interaction Mm -hmm. with the people that we meet and pass on the street. Because it's like, whoa, 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 you know, they're tools for communicating now. You know, don't just talk to me, (laughs) you know. It actually <laughs> triggers people. What do you think you're doing? <laughs> no. I mean, and and yeah. let alone like asking somebody to meet or asking somebody to to date that you m- meet organically. That's that's really a lot more complex now. So I don't know. I mean, that's. Um, I think that's. It's kind of sad that that we can't still live in this this natural world and make friendships and greet people and talk to people and check in with each other even if we don't even if that's the that's it you know just this one time I'm passing somebody I can greet them I could say hi but that seems harder to do than ever before and when you don't get those experiences and when you don't practice that there's naturally going to be more social anxiety I think It's hard for people to even talk without getting some anxiety because it just doesn't happen anymore. And I was thinking like when I was a kid, even with phones, it wasn't that everybody didn't have their own personal phone. That would be like growing up for me, growing up every every one of my friends having their own personal landline. They didn't. Mm -hmm. Why didn't we? It's not that the technology wasn't there. The technology was there to yeah, install yeah. A, a separate phone for everyone in the family. I'm sure it didn't. Co- I'm sure it wouldn't have costed more than it costs for everyone to have a fifteen hundred dollar iPhone with a plan. You know, we didn't do it because we just didn't think to do it. It wasn't. So it's not just about technology. That's what I'm saying about cultural trends and attitudes shifting. Even though it was totally doable. I mean, my dad had a separate line for his business, so families could have multiple lines. We just didn't do it because we didn't think to do it. You know, and then yeah. we didn't think, we, we, didn't needed think we needed it. And if and if you call your yeah. friend, there's just one number for the whole family, which means you're going to have to talk to people other than your yeah. friend. You know, someone <laughs> yeah. else is bound to answer yeah. that. Oh, hi, Mrs. So-and-so is, you know, so- Joe available or whatever. And that's... That is exposure, right? To contact, to something unfamiliar, something outside of your comfort zone, until you gain some mastery over that.
0: And we've gotten right. so further away from that, so much further away from that, in that I text you without you even hearing my voice. And you know, oftentimes you want to talk to people and they, they'll say, right. I don't like mm-hmm. talking on the phone, right? I'm, I'm much more comfortable yeah. in a text message because in a phone call, you're on the spot. You're not taking the time to think about what you want to say. You're not um, seeing that person or like, you know hearing the yeah. person in, in, in real time. It's, there's a piece of a glass between you and that person. And it gives you that security, that extra buffer of uh, security. And now that you don't have that in a phone call or in real life, yeah, you're gonna feel mm-hmm. really anxious. And that's kind of what the yeah. world is, you know, going towards. It is,
1: and I don't, I don't think the technology exists yet to deal with the lack of depth. They keep coming out with apps and things to help people meet, to help people match for relationships, but it, it leads to just, I mean, it backfires. I, I think for the most part, I, I don't, I don't. Mm-hmm. I haven't researched it enough and I don't have enough experience with it. But but what I hear often is that it's just backfiring where people, it's the same thing. You're on an app with millions of people. So once again, choice paralysis comes in. But I don't know if you've heard of this uh, other app called Clubhouse. Uh, Clubhouse, I've yeah. experimented with a little bit. Um, it's just audio. There's no messaging, no texting and you go and you you actually talk with people or you listen to people talk and it seems like that would have been a step backwards from like zoom and and facebook and instagram stories and and video to remove video and 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 text and just have audio it's like well we've known how to do audio we've had radio and we've had landlines we, huh? we have this. Already. Yeah, we had those. We have this. But it's. It, 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 I mean, I don't know if it will continue as the pandemic is. Uh, as the end is on the horizon, but but at least over the last several months, it was just growing exponentially, and and people were getting some sort of real benefit out of just being able to hear people's voices. So that's kind of what I'm talking about. That sounds that that if you had laid that out in the beginning of the tech revolution, and you know it will come twenty years in uh, into these social media apps, is something where you can just hear people's voice. And that that would have sounded silly, right? Yeah. But that's the same as with the gyms. And after these machines take over, then then people will go. Yeah, you, go, you lift go lift things. things. You they get on care, a machine <laughs> and run on that machine. <laughs> but that may, be, that may be what Clubhouse is showing us, that who can, whoever can really figure out the, the platforms that bring people together in, in a really meaningful way. And, and I think what's, what's kind of special about Clubhouse is, for the most part, it guides people in the conversation. That's why I think people love it. It's it's also not just like, hey, just talk about whatever. No, it's like it's it's setting you up to have a meaningful dialogue or to hear meaningful dialogue. And I I also think that's why like some podcasts are really popular. Podcasts are another example. Audio, you know, like a a three-hour audio conversation. and, And something like Joe Rogan is like the most... Downloaded podcasts in the world, more people will listen to a Joe Rogan episode than watch CNN that day, and yet you, many of those uh, subscribers aren't getting video. They're not. They're not getting what you get in Zoom or something like that. But what I think it's showing is that long form conversation is what people are craving. Like just depth of connection. And even if it's somebody else having the connection, even if it's Joe Rogan talking deeply with somebody, it's just being able to be in proximity to depth of communication. And so whoever figures that out, it'll seem like it's a step back, but it'll really be a step forward. And then I think this will all be all right.
0: In the last year and some change, you know, with... The pandemic kind of Mm -hmm. coming up and down and, uh, you know, having to go into social isolation and now things are getting a little better. At least they are here. And we are re-entering society as people in person, you meet other people, you are like, oh, my God, another person, you know, for some people, that was a great moment for other people. That was a moment full of anxiety. Because, you know, even if you weren't used to this before, uh, I think in a year and a half, people got used to it. Just not knowing how to be Mm -hmm. around other people. You know, you get so comfortable being at home, you know, no accountability, no outside perspectives. You're just kind of, you know, you're Mm -hmm. with your own perspective. So now that you're... Re-entering society and kind of being around people again, for some people it's like, oh, great, thank you, that I've I've been looking for this for a while. For other people it's like, oh my God, how do I go back to this? And you know, we've you know maybe been mm-hmm. using Zoom a lot or you know any other kind of platform for video calls. And it, again, it's created for people that comfort uh, of having a buffer, you know, a mm-hmm. screen in between. And now you go back to in vivo, in person, and you're around other people. And I think you feel more yeah vulnerable. Yeah. And
1: there was already a lot of social anxiety. And now you didn't need any excuse for the past year and a half if you had any social anxiety. And there's a, there's a lot yeah. of social anxiety. Yeah. And for young people missing out uh, on more than a year of in-person, a lot of in-person activities... Yeah, i think i think we'll we'll continue to see the fallout from that for some time i actually feel like a little anxiety about things fully resuming and i don't know it's just something i've noticed just some inner hesitancy about what's going what's coming you know the the request from family from friends and all of that and and I can sense like a subtle pressure growing to then be available again. But yeah. So, I mean, there, there were some benefits for people who enjoy introspection or a little bit introverted anyway. Yeah, you
0: know? I, I get what you're talking about, that um, bit of reluctance to um, go back to everything the way it was because i think for some people we found like you said that introspection solitude and it was beneficial you know maybe if you mm-hmm. felt like life was moving way too fast and this really just gave you the break i mean um i remember in the beginning of covid people that came to uh treatment programs you know so i i work in a dual diagnosis meaning uh addiction and mental health um, related issues Uh, it's an outpatient program and I remember people in the beginning of COVID saying this was the perfect opportunity for me to Mm -hmm. come seek treatment because you know work maybe ended or work um, became remote and I can come here and it gave me the opportunity to really finally seek help so I think for some people this isolation forced them to do other things you can no longer do what you used to do as a means of finding uh, excitement or finding connection you're forced to go otherwise or other 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 places to find it
1: for many people it was necessary that people didn't even know how mm-hmm. where they were headed how fast they were headed and where it was all going but I, I also feel like we didn't fully absorb the lessons that were available to us during this pause. So that's unfortunate. But, but maybe some of them will, maybe the pandemic is also, socially speaking, like uh, some seeds that have been planted in people's hearts and as as things do open up, yeah. we'll find that it's not going to be normal. It's not going back to normal. It's going to continue to evolve towards something else. And as those seeds sprout and bear fruit, I hope that we'll find new ways to continue to nurture the sides of ourselves that need respite and retreat. And there'll be a little bit less pressure mm-hmm. on ourselves to yeah. to be... Productive twenty
0: four seven. Yeah, I, I certainly hope that is the case. Um, you know, there's the, a the, the concept of uh, hedonic adaptation, meaning people tend to find themselves returning to a baseline, you know, from good or bad. And I think what we went through over the past year and a half, for everyone, it varies. Just you know, the severity. However. I think as things progressed, maybe things improved, people became less and less thrown off by it and almost got used to it. So, you know, that's kind of where you you kind of mentioned people may have missed some of the important lessons and just saw things as, oh, it's just returning back to normal. And, you know, that you hope that's not the case and you hope people really took something away from this and didn't just return to their baseline of, all right, Actively. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's it's that's what we do. We look for some way to protect ourselves from uncertainty. So many people are just grasping for stability and some sort of new routine with this to shield themselves from the reality that control is an illusion. Nobody, nobody saw this coming. Uh, no psychic told me about the 2020 pandemic. And... <laughs> and it's sort of like when when you go on a retreat or if you're if you go to another country or you do a study abroad i've done i've done all of those but in some cases i found myself insulating myself against the uncertainty and the unfamiliarity you can go to another country find the american pub and go with a group of friends never have to translate a word Get a guide that speaks fluent, uh, fluent language, fluent in the language of that place, and you're protecting your brain from, um, from the benefits of uncertainty. So, what's interesting about uncertainty from a neurological point of view is we actually have a lot of power to grow and to change. More resources are dedicated to the hippocampus which is how a person can learn a, a new language in a relatively short amount of time when they're actually in that environment compared to vigorous long-term study can make much more progress in a month of being thrown into that unfamiliar environment. And that's what happened to us. But what we did was we, we found these ways to insulate ourselves, or many of us did. And those that really sat with that uncertainty mm. and waded into it, Have probably grown the most and so that that's what i mean by i think the technologists rushed in to make to make that transition as smooth as possible here's how zoom works here's how you can keep having your same work same i mean it would have been great if it was just like the internet is turning off for 16 hours a day during the pandemic because they can't go to work either the internet (laughs) gnomes and um And everybody would just have to, you know, <laughs> sit or talk or walk or, or garden, you know. And and that's what what I mean when I say I think we missed missed a little bit of the opportunity uh, here because soon soon enough it will be off to the races again, and we don't know where we're racing to. Think about progress, the progress of society, the, the advancement of society. What is guiding progress you think of a guide a guide is someone who has been to the destination and back knows the way but we don't have that we don't really have anyone guiding our progress we only have capitalism and money i believe this will make money yeah Yeah.
0: there's the idea right
1: and and, you know some of it is solving needs but more of it is not really need um you know, a need is like there's still so many people in poverty. There's still so many people without health care. There's still so many people without food. People still st- uh, still starve around the world or suffer all, all in all kinds of ways. Th- those are the real needs, but there's no incentive to solve those actual needs, those actual problems because of this construct, this social construct of of money. And I think we've seen throughout the pandemic also that we've made a virtue out of greed. And that's what I think motivates or prompts what we call progress. And that's why the problem, the actual, the deepest problems don't get solved. And more problems are even created as side effects of the conveniences that we develop or that we enjoy from the developments. So, yeah, that that will... I don't. I don't know if there will be any uh, shift on that. I think. It, I think uh, there hasn't been that kind of awakening yet to to the drawbacks of convenience.
0: You know, kind of going off of this, I feel like the convenience of everything has made it made this into. A, you know, you often hear the, time, the term a throwaway. Culture, where we don't give things a chance at the first sight of uh, challenges or you know obstacles, you just move on to something else. You don't give it the chance to improve or see if it can be fixed. And this you know is true for possessions, but it's also you know now applicable to relationships. It's applicable to uh, opportunities experiences. And when you think about, you know, say you have uh, a computer breaks, now you'll get you just get a new one. Cuz it's more more costly to fix it than to get a new one. If I do that with more and more valuable possessions, what's to stop me from doing that with a relationship, a life experience, a major life experience? Oh, this job didn't work out. I'm going to change my field completely and go to a different industry i'm gonna change my job and change where i live i'm gonna change a big part of my life because i don't want to invest into it anymore
1: yeah i think you make a really good point there there has to be some kind of line of best fit that we haven't settled on yet meaning the old way people could be exploited like you really ought to get out of this dysfunctional job or dysfunctional relationship and move on right mm-hmm. and then we've overcompensated in these advances and now we're we're into a throwaway culture so let's hope that because we've the pendulum has swung all the way to the other side where very few things are are truly loved and cherished and valued and and nurtured all the way through. And that's sad because there's also something really special about something that's really worn in. When you got like a, a sweater that you've had for years and years and years, the way it's worn yeah. is so suitable to you and in a way that harmonizes with your energy. That's what happens in relationships too. But people think on the surface, oh, that'll just be boring or if there's anything incompatible about that person that'll just be unnecessary you know but there really is something mm-hmm. special that happens when, when people keep working at it to understand because understanding understanding takes work right you, you got to think and people don't want to think and maybe it's an illusion also that there's some connection some relationship we could have where there's no work where it's just perfect understanding right out the gate. You know, yeah, like just, the computer. Oh, as soon as there's a glitch here, just yeah. toss it, get a new one, because that's easier. And so you never get to actually yeah. learn all the things the computer can do, all the ways that it can contribute to your life. And and yeah, I, I see that with relationships. Well,
0: again, convenience. It's convenience. I feel like it keeps coming back to convenience. I don't want to be inconvenienced with a problem (laughs) in my relationship. I I think even prior to even running into the problem, people visualize and think ahead. Well, this is going to happen. I don't want to deal with that. So I'm just going to.
1: Yeah. And again, you don't want the inconvenience. You want to be able to move on with your day to what? To what end? That we haven't answered yet. Right, and people—all people people know—is they don't want to be stopped. What do you gotta do? It's interesting (laughs) to see, like, in myself or in my family, how people get frustrated when, when there's traffic or when there's a longer light at an intersection, but there's nowhere to be. We're just so, so used to convenience Mm -hmm. that even if we had nowhere to go, we know it's, uh, it's inconvenient. (laughs) You know.
0: I recall not too long ago, we were driving downtown Chicago and my two friends and I were in the car and then there's a car behind mm-hmm. us that's honking us. It's a red light. You know, we pull a little bit further just so he can slide in. And then we a- we rolled down our windows and asked him, where are you going? He said, into that lane. <laughs> He's thinking one step forward and nothing be- past that that was you know as far as he was thinking i'm so inconvenienced i just need to get into this lane in a red light right okay
1: and didn't know didn't know anything beyond that i'm held back from the next step i don't know where i'm headed ultimately but right (laughs) Mm -hmm. we're old school now
0: what used to be new is now Mm
1: -hmm. traditional We'll see.
0: I think, though, to some degree, th- there is some return to tradition. Every now and then you see something resurface from old tradition. Not that we're that old, but, you know, every now and then you like you see something come up in modern day society. Like, oh, OK, this looks familiar. And this is nice. People are re-exploring certain things that haven't been done in a while or aren't as aren't as popular
1: that's what yeah. i've been reflecting on through the pandemic <laughs> vintage yeah that that's the wisdom of aging becoming vintage uh, we value youthfulness so much and and people deprive themselves of growing mm-hmm. wise in their effort to hang on to to uh, what's young and hip and sexy they don't actually get to cultivate their wisdom. You know, or, or let their wisdom grow. But I've been reflecting on this too. Like, with traditions we, we tend to throw out the baby with the bathwater. There's a lot of wisdom in in old paths that we don't even understand. We just look at things on the surface and find something that doesn't fit with modern culture and throw the whole thing out. So I mean I think you're right I think there was a lot of meaning In the way our ancestors Did things Where they lived, how they lived What what they ate mm-hmm. How they cared for each other There was a lot of meaning I'm not saying it was perfect Nothing's perfect But we're a culture That's drowning without meaning you know, We're, we're lost at sea without without direction we don't know where we're going you know and that uh, all we know is that we're getting there faster we're moving faster but we don't necessarily know where we're going yeah we're heading to nowhere faster than ever before
0: <laughs> someone near you i guess um
1: yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, so I've been reflecting on that and I was writing reflections every day or two throughout the whole pandemic, basically just to see what I think about things. Once you get it on a paper and start to work it, it's it's not, it's no longer just passing thoughts. It's like what you actually feel and your actual perspective on things. That's the beauty of writing and and now I've organized them into a whole uh, book. and the book is about really pulling back layers, social layers, uh, psychological layers, conditionings, mm. to see what, what truly is meaningful. We know about speed, we know about technology, we know about convenience. But what, but what truly is valuable about being a human being? this short experiment on this planet what what is it all for is it just to get from point a to point b as quickly as possible what what is meaning you know what's meaningful for people what what's meaningful in the way that we relate to each other and what's missing in that equation that's what I was reflecting on and that's what I'm putting in a book and I I think I've tried to bring build a bridge between tradition and modernity and and in in that way people can understand that connection and being able to go between these worlds has value because in those traditions people were wrestling with with meaning, they were wrestling with purpose. Why are we here? They were wrestling with philosophical questions and existential questions. And there's there's not many outlets for that. Things in in uh, pop culture are so black and white. This is either right or wrong. You're either on this side or you're on that side. There's very little room for nuance or dialogue. And that's not how philosophy works. Philosophy has to be able to uh, to hold space for possibilities and be able to wade into, uh, different scenarios and explore what, where those lead. And, uh, and so, yeah, that, that's what I'm hoping to share as things open back up.
0: So I guess what's the bottom line, I guess we can close with this. What's the bottom line here? What are we trying to tell people? Yeah. The mental health gym is kind of where I think we're going with this. In this world where we're so insistent on getting to places faster and we're so obsessed with just being so connected, obsessed, but so tied to it. I think what we need is something like a mental health gym. And, you know, I think we we have ideas of what that may look like. I think some of the things we already do, you know, encapsulate that. But that needs to be something we do more of, just disconnecting, you know, putting ourselves through experiences that does expose right. us to inconvenience. <laughs> so go ahead and inconvenience yourself today.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's the, yeah, I think that's the message that we're emphasizing. Yeah.
0: Leave your wallet at home. Put yourself go for a
1: walk. outside of <laughs> and your a comfort, comfort zone. Inconvenience <laughs> yourself, as you said. <laughs> Yeah, Because <laughs> yeah. in because when things became more sedentary, we realized mm-hmm. your muscles, your physical body will yeah. atrophy, and you will lose some capacity um, to in, to really to enjoy this world. Right. Similarly, with the technology that has made things more convenient, we are probably atrophying yeah. some of our psychological faculties. And it's impairing our ability to enjoy this world and enjoy each other's company and you're right some some amount of strain is is required. Yeah to work those the work those psychological I mean, muscles Not
0: doing that is like going to the gym and just lifting one of the easiest lightest weights without the strain or the resistance, you're not gaining much if things are too easy for you. Mm-hmm. You're not going to gain much. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Interestingly, when when we go too far in that direction, yeah. you face strain, right? So it's like do it now, so that your body doesn't have to fall into such imbalance that mm-hmm. you become ill, mm-hmm. you become mentally ill, or physically ill in the case of sedentary lifestyle. So we're we're encouraging people to to take control of their their overall health and well-being on oh, thank you this was great oh
0: man i appreciate you the time and uh i'm really glad we could do this i know we've been talking about it for a while hopefully it's the uh yeah the start of many more dialogues but this was good
1: yeah yeah i, I like that thank you Ali. all right thanks todd and with that
0: ladies and gentlemen we come to the end of episode 17. thank you all for listening and thank you to todd for being on the episode today It was very insightful, and I hope it's the first of many. If you enjoyed listening to Todd, he has his own podcast. It's called the Kind Mind Podcast, and I will include a link in the description as well. Again, thank you for listening, and I will see you next time. Thank you. Goodbye.